power of the gospel. God can take thousands of years of hatred and bridge the gap and oneness and unity in one failed swoop. I mean, it's just like, boom, the gospel is received, it's accepted, and now all of a sudden, God says, listen, Peter, John, you need to get down. You need to understand that I'm accepting them into my kingdom just as I have accepted the Jews into my kingdom. And so he delays the Holy Spirit until they lay hands on them so that they know firsthand that God is receiving them just as he received them. And so then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon, watch this, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money. <laughs> he says, man, give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on will receive the Holy Spirit. Now how's Peter going to respond? Now you know Peter. <laughs> He's a little, um, he can be provoked. Um, so, so what does he say? He says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Now, here, Peter gives him an out. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Listen, if there was a genuine conversion in Simon's life and he would have repented of this wickedness and asked God for forgiveness, immediately God would have forgiven him. But notice what he says. I'm not repenting. He says instead, um, Peter goes on to say, so I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. See, here's what Simon wanted. Simon was losing his church members. People in Samaria, they're getting saved. They're no longer following him. They're following Philip. They're following the new church. He's all of a sudden losing his congregation, and it's like, how do I get them back? I've got to do something bigger and better, and so I need this Holy Spirit thing that I can lay hands on people and, and, and do the same things that Peter and John are doing. And then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me. He says, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Notice who he puts the burden of responsibility on. Peter. Now, I I wish I had time to unpack all of this, but um, let me just say this. There is a real danger going on in our day and time with the distortion of the gospel. Um, We are into a trendy gospel now, but not a biblical gospel. See, the trendy gospel goes something like this. You know what? Jesus is all about, you know, um, helping you uh, discover yourself and your self-actualization and, and, and uh, you know, uh, fulfilling all of your dreams and all your desires and wants and wishes. And, and the list goes on and on. And, and uh, we try to break it down for people and say, well, you know, you can't give them the whole gospel because if you give people the whole gospel, it just kind of pushes them away. And so we just need to put it in bite-sized pieces. And, and we need to, you know, let's take some of the words that are offensive and let's, let's interject words that are not so offensive because, you know, everybody gets offended over everything anymore anymore. And uh, so we just kind of make it like real trendy. Uh, come follow Jesus and, and everything in life will be wonderful and, and everything you want and desire and wish for will come to pass. 
And then we, you know, and sometimes in churches when we have baptism, and of course baptism is, you know, the follow-up of a believer in Christ who is taking that first step of discipleship. But yet I, I know a lot of churches, you know, on baptism day, they just say something like, hey, if you're here, you want to be baptized? We got clothes back here. Come on in. Come on in and be baptized. Now, I have no problem with a person being baptized on the same day that you're having baptism for somebody else. But my question is, how do you even know if they're a follower of Jesus yet? How do you even know they really come to faith in Christ? And so we've, 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 we've made this trendy gospel, but the biblical gospel says, listen, if you're going to come to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, come to me and follow me. And by the way, after you start following me, now you can read the fine print down here of what I'm actually asking you to do. Listen, Jesus talked about things like dying to self. He talked about picking up your cross and following him. He talked about putting it all on the line. He talked about putting your hand to the plow and not turning back. He talked about hating your father and mother, loving. If you love them more than you love Jesus, then there's going to be a problem. There's going to be an issue between you and God because what? Jesus is to be at the center, at the core of our being, and everything flows out of that relationship. And the reason why we've lost our message is because Jesus is no longer in the center. We've made him a sidecar or we've made him, you know, just uh, something we uh, kind of, um, you know, string along behind us. And so, like, like, Lord, when I need you, I'll, I'll let you know. And our, we're walking around with empty wells in our soul and, and we're walking around with the same old woundedness. Listen, I, I run into adults all the time who are, I'm talking about Christian adults. Now, I know the lost world is broken. That's the, that's the avenue to my message is that I just find out the area they're broken in and say, listen, you know what? There's a God who loves you. He designed the world this way. But when we stepped outside of the design, we sinned and we ended up broken and we all developed coping mechanisms and you're trying to bring healing in your heart in your life for which you cannot do on your own but there is a savior who came into the world who gave his life in place of your life so that through him you might be saved healed and delivered and that can happen but if you're a christian and you've been you've been dragging this stuff along your life for 10 20 30 years i've noticed this that everybody i deal with woundedness 99% of your woundedness you deal with as an adult happened when you were a child. My question for me and you and the church is this. Why do we make children drag that stuff along 20 or 30 years in their lives and then make them, you know, let them deal with it as an adult? Why don't we get them when they're kids and allow them to experience Jesus' healing right then and there? It can happen. And it does happen. And that's the message that we have. And so we have to maximize that message. And here's the last one. You've got to avoid deception by your message by protecting the gospel. Listen, I think Simon the sorcerer was the first cultist. Right? He is bringing a, he's seeking, Satan through him is seeking to establish a cult because according to church history, he is probably the founder of Gnosticism, which was like a cult in their day and time. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, you've probably read and studied enough about cults. Do you know that most of the cultist um, members of cults are Christians, were Christians, who believed a lie and absorbed themselves into that? And so there are very distinct characteristics of a cult, one of which is that they, they have, they're the only ones that have the message, the truth. 
No, I just watched a series by on the Branch Davidians, David Koresh, Koresh in, in, in Texas, and, and that's the thing. He believed that he was the only one who could unlock the seven seals of the book of Revelation. And that's the way he drew people in. And of course, the cult, you know, it's the leader. He has all the divine uh, ability and responsibility and can do whatever he wants and not have to live by the same rules that he gives to you necessarily. And there are many other characteristics. And so we have to watch that we, we, um, we have to watch that we ourselves, not that we're going to be cult leaders, but we have to watch that we, we are not trying to live with deception in our hearts. And what I mean by that, how can I bring a message of hope and deliverance and healing into the life of somebody else if I'm unwilling to experience it myself? My whole point in this message is, and what I hope you hear me saying is that, listen, um, if you're going to bring the gospel to bear on the lives of people so that they might experience all that God desires then you need to walk through that process yourself and you need to give up the stuff that's holding you back. Like you know that deep within your heart, you're carrying around so much hurt, so much anger, so much bitterness, so much resentment that you can't even see straight and you cannot carry that toxicity in your soul without it affecting your body. And one of the reasons why people do not receive physical healing from God is because if God were to give physical healing, it would just come back because there needs to be a soul renewal. And until the soul renewal happens, then the physical side probably will not. You know, even the medical field understands this. They will tell you flat out. There's a lot of medical research going on right now. For example, unforgiveness. Do you know that neurologists can look in the brain and those who harbor anger, bitterness, resentment, there's literally a brown spot that begins to develop on the brain. But when, when forgiveness is exercised, that spot will go away. You, you can't have emotional toxicity in your bloodstream without it affecting your body. My friends, Jesus came to save us, to sozo us. And when we experience that, we have a message. And when we're sharing the message, we don't become stagnant. And we are very careful that we do not distort the gospel. We share the whole gospel. I want the whole gospel. I don't want part of the gospel. When I got saved, I wanted all the gospel. Man, don't just tell me part of it. Tell me all of it and allow me to at least make a decision on the basis of everything. Don't share me part of it. Get me locked in and then say, oh, by the way, here's the fine print. We're so anxious because we want to get people saved that sometimes we, we just only give them part of the gospel. I'm not saying you give it all to them all at once. Salvation is a process, okay? It is a process. Some people you come across, their hearts are hard, hard. Jesus called hard soil. You can share the gospel with them 35 times a day. It's not even going to penetrate them. That's why when Jesus sent out the 72 and the 12, he said, listen, look for a person of peace. In other words, look for fertile soil. If you come across somebody and they're, they're hard-hearted, don't, man, 
shake the dust off your feet and move on because it's not going to penetrate. It's not going to do any good. What you need to do is now, if you got somebody that's a hard-hearted, like a family member, here's what you got to do. You got to love them. You got to show them love. And it may take years so that God can soften the soil of their heart. And we have to avoid deception by protecting the gospel. Um, we need to be passionate about the gospel. And so here's the three cautions. I'm just wrap these off, and here it is. Number one, if we hide in our holy huddles, God will break us up. God never called us to be in holy huddles. He didn't call us to be good people. He called us to be holy people and to follow his commission, to make disciples, to bear the message upon the world in which we live. Never treat God's enemies as an enemy. And we learn this from Saul. Saul was a great enemy of God. You know what most people would have done and what the church tried to do? Write him off. Even after he got saved, they still wanted to write him off. It hadn't been for Barnabas intercepting. Uh, they, they would have never allowed Paul in their, in their midst. They were afraid he was still an enemy of God. And Sometimes we look at people and um, you know, our society is becoming more and more polarized I mean, you just float an opinion out on Facebook and wait for the attacks. And so we look at people, and if we're not careful, we see them as our enemies. If there's anything we learn after the six weeks we spent in the prodigal son and all three of the parables that Jesus gave in response to the Pharisees is this. All three parables were saying the same thing. Listen, you have never locked eyes on a person who's not important to God, whom God loves and wants and desires relationship. Nobody, they may be God's enemy, but they're not be our enemy. What did Jesus say about our enemies? We're to love them, pray for them, do good towards them. We're to help them take a step towards Jesus. And number three, reach out to broken people and you might just find beautiful people because there is a beautiful person beneath the brokenness and that's why we need to maximize the message because it is the power of God unto salvation to be saved, to be healed, and to be delivered. Let's bow our heads together.